0: Errol Morris has spent his career as a documentary filmmaker telling stories as varied as the rhythms of a small town in Florida, to Stephen Hawking's theories of the Big Bang, and even how defense secretaries Robert McNamara and Donald Rumsfeld view their roles in political history, particularly in era-defining wars in Vietnam and Iraq. Morris gives his subjects a wide berth, allowing them to tell their own stories, warts, embellishments, uncertainties, and all. His emphasis on allowing first-person narrative to play out frequently sheds new light and perspective on well-trod ground. His latest movie, My Psychedelic Love Story, is about Joanna Harcourt Smith, the one-time lover of Timothy Leary, the Harvard psychology professor who became an advocate of the use of psychedelic drugs and was one of the key figures of the 1960s and 1970s counterculture. That earned him a spot as public enemy number one in President Richard Nixon's War on Drugs. Smith was a young European jet setter who hooked up with Leary when he was on the run after escaping prison, and later she became a fierce defender of him when he was captured and sent back to prison. After Leary did an about-face on the use of drugs to avoid more severe punishment from federal authorities, Smith was the focus of ire from many of Leary's old pals, who openly posited she was a federal mole sent to set him up. My psychedelic love story allows her to openly question her own role in those events, whether she was a free actor or a pawn of government forces, and gets into much, much more. My conversation with Morris gets into this movie and also touches on the recent government chaos, Donald Trump and his issues with the truth, and whether there is such a thing at all as a reliable narrator. Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, I, uh, I I want to I want to start talking about my second dog love story right right away. Um, you know the this you know this story about Joanna Harcourt Smith, Timothy Leary's lover uh, in the seventies. It's almost like the you know, kind of the hangover of the 60s. Um, and and I was really fascinated by that she... Well, it's not almost. It really is the hangover <laughs> of the 60s. I think it's well described. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, and I was fascinated by her... Uh, saying you know to to you that she had seen your uh, your series Wormwood on on Netflix, which was about Frank Olson uh, and his relationship to the CIA and LSD experiments and so forth and his mysterious death, that she was uh, inspired by that to contact you. And uh, how did how did that happen? How did that come about?
1: Well, she was inspired by both my series for Netflix, Wormwood. She was also inspired by my son's series for Vice, Hamilton's Pharmacopia. And she was interested in both of us being involved. Hamilton was too busy actually working on the third season of his series. It was a very strange year making this movie. Originally it was going to be somewhat like Wormwood, it was going to be a combination of drama and interview. But as we all know, circumstances suddenly changed in 2020 and it became virtually impossible to do almost anything. Certainly the whole issue of doing drama uh, became seriously problematic. And I was asked by Vinnie Malhotra Uh, Showtime, could you do something simpler? Could you do a straight documentary during this time of COVID? The answer was, yes, we could. It meant that a lot of the things I wanted to do, I couldn't do, but we could still create, I hope, I believe a powerful story about Timothy Leary and Joanna.
0: And it is so uh, it's it's hard uh, it, it's hard to describe how bizarre a story it is. Um with her, you know, she's this jet set European woman, um, young woman, and has this, you know, kind of torrid affair with him, and then, you know, goes on the lamb with him in Europe, comes back to the United States, he goes to prison, uh, and then, you know, as then gets you know, gets kind of scapegoated into being, you know, identified as the person who made him go to the feds, made him turn uh, to uh, the DEAs and and become a, a narc and so forth. And it's just crazy. And I, I just wonder though, is is this the first time you've had somebody approach you because of something else you did about like some of you know another another project like this?
1: Uh, projects have a way of piggybacking each other. I don't think this is the first time. I was very pleased that she contacted me i knew nothing about her i read her book liked her book liked her and decided that we should do this uh, and it turned out to be an even more incredible story than i had anticipated going into it and it's a story for me which is ongoing it's not over with
0: that's that was actually a, a great uh, it's a great segue to my my next question which was what what do you think this says about you know? I mean, we're we're in this really crazy time with government mistrust and um, you know <laughs> a crisis in in the confidence in government itself. What do you? How do you think? Do you think differently? Uh, I mean, you've cataloged you know uh, government abuses and and you know put the screws to people like McNamara and and Rumsfeld uh, you know throughout your career. But do you feel uh, differently because of the last year? Because of the failures of government? Because of the, you know, the crisis of confidence we have in it? Like, that, how does it fit? How does that storyline fit into what we're going through right now?
1: Well, people don't even know how this current story is going to end. We're still going through it. It's, if anything, an ongoing nightmare. To me, people may view history as a series of conspiracies. I don't quite see it that way. I see history as chaotic um, you know, who really knows what's going on, uh, who knows who's pulling the strings, or if any strings are being pulled by anybody, uh, and the story is powerful. Uh, it, it, it's certainly a, a story for our time, absolutely, because Joanna's asking a fundamental question. It's at the very beginning of the film. She's asking, am I a free actor? Could I make decisions independently of anybody else to do this or to do that or to do anything? Or was I just a tool being used by various governmental organizations and who knows what else? To me, one of the reasons I like the film, I don't like all of my films, but I do like this film, is that it's a story of a woman trying to figure out Herself, who she is, uh, a woman trying to investigate herself, if you will, what was going on here? Right. Uh, was I a pawn or an independent agent? That's a deep question. It's almost like a Philip K. Dick question.
0: I wish I was related to Philip K. Dick. That is my last name. But uh, <laughs> you're right. It is. It's. Um, it, she is fascinating, I mean as fascinating as they come and I I wonder I mean like you have throughout your career from you know from ver- the the Turkey Hunter guy in Vernon Florida to Joanna you've specialized in these um I guess the kind of Nabokovian term would be an unreliable narrator if you will how does she rate she you've got to have a, a hierarchy of like some of your subjects i mean th- th- you said that this is one of your favorite films you've done i mean she is just um i would I would say that, you know, like this is an Errol Morris uh, film on drugs. It really is, and she's a, an Errol Morris narrator on drugs
1: Nabokov, <laughs> notwithstanding, we're all unreliable
0: narrators.
1: Show me a person telling a story, and I'll show you an unreliable narrator.
0: so two people on this call uh, also right? <laughs> included
1: <laughs> we are most definitely included and <laughs> I suppose the question is not is she an unreliable narrator, but how much of an unreliable narrator is she? Um, I think there's a lot of truth to the story. I have great confidence that Joanna herself wants to tell the truth. Maybe like everybody else or anybody else, she's not quite capable of going all the way. And yes, I do include myself. But there are elements to the story that I still, of course, wonder about. I contacted the FBI and the CIA and asked them basically what they had in their files. on Leary and Joanna Harkert-Smith. And I got the classic nonsense reply. We can neither confirm nor deny that we have anything on either of them. It's sort of like the go fuck yourself answer.
0: Yes. I get it. I get it a lot myself here in Washington. So. (laughs) Covering Congress.
1: (laughs) That perhaps is not easily answerable. Although my guess is that she was being manipulated by Nixon and various federal agencies. There are many other questions that fascinate me. There's a statement that she makes uh, in the film about her mother, uh, her stepfather, Arpad Plesch, the uh, murder of her grandmother by possibly Arpad Plesch, A possible murder of her grandmother by Arpad Plesch would be the better way of saying it. What is the story? Did he steal money from his Jewish relatives? She comes out of a kind of nightmare. A nightmare of unreliable narrators and uncertainty and duplicities of one kind or another.
0: I think at one point you you described to her, you said, this sounds like something out of a you know, a, a bloody Greek tragedy because the grandfather, the stepgrandfather then went and married her mother, which Indeed is Indeed he did. You know. <laughs> um and, and again, the fact that it was was all surrounded by possible purloined Nazi, you know, ill-gotten goods. I mean, it's just um yeah, that, that part of the movie made my head hurt a little bit.
1: So I um I think it's an extraordinary tangled first-person story. Years ago, I did this series called First Person. And I invented this device, the Interatron, which was a way of getting people to look at me and look into the camera at the same time. And I used it for a whole number of films. And at the same time that I invented this Device, which now lots and lots of people use, I realized that there was a different kind of storytelling that I could do. And I thought of it as first person narratives. The usual style is you interview whatever it is six, eight, 11, uh, 13 people about a specific story or an individual. I felt that the best way to get inside of somebody to investigate a person as opposed to an event was to do only one interview. A reviewer shortly after Fog of War came out asked me are you aware you only interviewed one person mainly Robert McNamara. Yes, I was aware of this and it was a choice. It was a stylistic I would even risk saying it was a philosophical choice because it was a way of telling an internal story, not just an internal story, but a story about how a person sees themselves, which was of enormous, enormous interest to me. I wrote an editorial not so long ago for the Boston Globe, just before Election Day, about Donald Trump. And I kept saying over and over and over again, the issue isn't whether he's lying. Of course he's lying. <laughs> Duh. Uh, the Washington Post, whatever it, eventual pally uh, came out to be, they mentioned well over 20,000 lies. I think that's a probably conservative estimate, but let's, <laughs> let's go with that figure for the sake of argument. Um, To me, the issue is not him lying. The issue is whether he believes his own lies. Does he really think that he's telling the truth while lying or while speaking untruth? And my guess is, yes, that's even more frightening. Lying suggests some kind of Iago-like character, a Shakespearean villain. Uh, who is more or less in command of his faculties. But if it's self-deception, if it's lunacy, uh, we're not dealing with a lying president. We're dealing with an insane president. And that, as well it should be, is pretty damn scary.
0: And. That would certainly fit into your, your thesis that history is a series of chaotic events, not conspiracies, because it, I mean, we're, we're dealing with the aftermath of January 6th now. I mean.
1: <laughs> Did something bad happen on January 6th? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh and and you know he I I think he probably does believe that he didn't do anything wrong, uh, as they're you know, got fifteen thousand guardsmen in in I bet he
1: believes he won the election. I bet he believes he didn't do anything wrong, I bet he sees himself as an American hero. But there is something interesting, there's something scary about this idea, this first person idea, because you are turning your back on traditional. Documentary slash journalistic techniques. You're doing a different kind of story, um, a story about how people see themselves. Sorry to be repetitive, but that is at the heart of it. Yeah, and I don't think anyone else does it, and I like doing it, and will continue to do it, not to the exclusion of everything else. But uh, I was also enormously pleased that Joanna liked the movie. She died. She had terminal cancer. She thought she had a beat. The cancer came back uh, this fall, and she died really weeks after this movie was completed. Uh, Mercifully, I could show it to her, and she loved it. The week that she died, she watched it five, six, seven times, uh, and I sometimes think of it as a gift to her because uh, I liked her. I really, really, really liked Joanna Harker Smith. She's my kind of person.
0: It's it's hard not to like her in in this from this movie.
1: <laughs> I've heard people say, "Well, she's a spoiled rich brat." that is too self-involved. Well, of course, if you ask someone to make a movie which is about, as we all are, about your involvement with self, yes, I suppose so, but to me, she's a kind of amazing character and it's an amazing love story. Does she know why everything fell apart? Do we know? in our own relationships, the ones that are successful and the ones that are disastrous? Do we know why some things work and others don't? The ugly truth is in many ways, we're mysteries to ourselves. And the fact that she finds herself mysterious and the world around her mysterious, is fabulous. It's really, really, really interesting and powerful. And allowed me to make what I hope is a really interesting and powerful movie.
0: Well, I thank you very much for making it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed enjoyed it, um, and uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, there, I feel like there's a million things that we could uh, keep talking about. But I do know that uh, you've uh, got a uh, couple other things on your schedule. Um, thank My you apologies. so much.
1: I would have been happy to talk much longer, but I, I got you know, bottlenecked into my schedule. And I,
0: you have, you have my sympathies. I, I, I feel that way every day too. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in, in between doing this, this is the fun part of my job. Uh, the, and, and then I get to go, uh, edit like, uh, uh, stories about, uh, appropriations bills now. So, <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank for you your time. so much. I really enjoyed yeah.
1: talking.